And I realized that my existence had shrunk to such an extent that it revolved almost entirely around alcohol. And that was looking forward to my next drink or drinking or recovering from the drinking or feeling guilty about it. It just consumed me and there was no space in my life for anything that didn't involve alcohol. I'm sure you get the picture. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Oh, hello there. Hello and welcome. And thank you so much for tuning in. Now, somebody once said, alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not taking. Now, that's so true. And coping with peer pressure is one of the most difficult things we have to cope with if we decide to stop drinking. And I think as women, we've got a really difficult balance to maintain. Because if we don't drink, then we're not fun at all, are we? We're really boring. But if we drink too much and end up falling around the room, then that's not cool either. It's like trying to walk a tightrope. Of course, this situation exists because alcohol has been so normalised. It's absolutely everywhere. And we end up using it to celebrate, to relax, to reward ourselves and, of course, to socialise. And the wine industry, well, the wine industry has done a stunning job marketing their products to women, especially women. So much so that it seems impossible to lead a full and happy life without it. And it certainly seems impossible to be a parent without your glass of mommy juice. Now, this episode, I'm chatting to a very special lady. She came to one of our early workshops. And not only has she ditched the drink and locked up three alcohol-free years, but she's turned into something of an activist. She takes various organisations to task when they publish misleading information about alcohol. And I have to tell you, she's quite busy with that. I began my conversation with Jen by asking her to tell us a bit about herself. Thank you, Janet. Well, I'm a KZN girl and uh, I've called Joburg home for just over 20 years now. But I also tick the wife and the mom and the employee boxes. So like many other people out there trying to juggle it all. Absolutely. Keeping the show on the road, as we say. So um, when when did you start worrying about alcohol? When did you start thinking maybe your relationship with alcohol wasn't quite as healthy as it could be? It was one morning. It was the 14th of March, 2017. I was sitting at my dining room table after having dropped the kids at school and I was feeling awful, as always. And I realized that my existence had shrunk to such an extent that it revolved almost entirely around alcohol. And that was looking forward to my next drink or drinking or recovering from the drinking or feeling guilty about it. It just consumed me and there was no space in my life for anything that didn't involve alcohol. I'm sure you get the picture. 
Absolutely. I can remember also my life shrinking. It just becomes smaller and smaller as your interests fall away, don't they, one after one. So when you came along to the workshop, Jen, what what were your objectives? Did you think I'm going to stop completely or did you think you would cut down a bit? What, What were you hoping for when you came along? By the time I came to that workshop, I'd really been alcohol free for a, a short time, but I still felt like an utter failure as a wife and as a mom. And, and I felt so very ashamed of what I thought was my inability to control my drinking whilst everyone around me seemed to be fine. So when I came to the workshop, and I was an hour early that day, I remember, um, I must have been desperate, I was looking for hope. I was looking for hope. I needed to connect with people who were in the same situation as me. And I didn't want to be told how bad I was or how shameful my behavior had been. I really just needed support. So talk us through what happened after the workshop when you got home. Well, that evening I went home and Paul and the kids were away for the weekend. So I had a lot of time on my hands. I made myself a big cup of tea. And I started writing in my journal. Uh, Writing was, and it continues to be, a very important part of my recovery process. But what was noteworthy about my writing that night, and I can see it now as I look back, is that the tone of my journaling changed. It changed from a very tentative, am I doing this right, I feel raw and exposed and uncomfortable, to a more, I can do this, this is an adventure, we can do this. So it, it became a lot more positive. And that, that writing, as I said, still remains an important part of, of checking in with myself, keeping on track. Yeah, yeah j- journaling is fantastic and it allows us to process our thoughts, doesn't it? And also, I think as, as we stop drinking, all the emotions kind of bubble to the surface, don't they? Because they're not numbed anymore. And we need to express those emotions. And there's nothing better than a journal to help with that. So I share your enthusiasm for journaling there. So, so Jen, did, did you often have to go back to day one? Or once you decided, did you stay, stay on track? Oh, Janet, I had many day ones. Always fueled by a horrendous hangover. But um, alcohol is a sneaky bugger. So after a day or two, managing to white knuckle my way through. I'd convince myself I had everything under control. I would open a bottle of wine just to have one glass. And that was it. I was back where I started every single time. Um, so I had many, yes, I had many day ones. And as I mentioned earlier in the interview, my last one was um, that, four, that 14th of March. Okay, so you've been sober now for about three years, yes. So uh, there'll be people listening to this, Jen, that are in that day one trap. You know, I was also in it for a long time. Have you got any tips for them? If they feel, oh, I can't do this, I'm so fed up of going back to day one, how, how did you eventually get yourself out of that cycle? It was difficult, Janet. This is a, it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, I cannot sugarcoat it in any way. Uh, for me, it was a way of showing my family that I was serious about this commitment. There's a saying that says the best apology has changed behavior. And that is very true. And 
I was damned if I was going to go back to that day zero again. Um, it was, it's just so hard. And to go through it over and over again, eventually you just have to say no. You have to be tough on yourself and just say no. Um, so, yes, you just have to, to, it's a monumental commitment and you just have to keep at it. Yeah, and you have to push through. And I believe that every time we, we go back to day one, our subconscious is absorbing that, oh, this is so hard, and now I've got to go through it all again. But if we can just push through, and, and when I say push through, I'm really thinking of getting at least to six, nine months. That's when you start to really appreciate how good this is and how good it can be. Well, that for me, 100 days, getting to 100 days was really significant because once you'd gotten that, you threw the dreadful detox, you threw the rawness, it's starting to feel sort of normal. And that's when the benefits start kicking in. That's when you realize and you start seeing how amazing life can be. So that 100 days was key for me. Okay. And as you as you look back on three years of sobriety, well done, by the way, if I hadn't already said it to you, um, what would you pick as the benefits? Janet, how much time do we have? <laughs> I think if I had to pick just one thing, and it's difficult, just one thing that makes being alcohol-free worthwhile, I would say that it is having control over my brain and not being managed by a wine bottle the whole time. Clarity of thought is truly an amazing thing. And once you begin to master your thoughts, you master your life. So much other brilliant stuff happens because your thoughts determine your life. I, I really believe that. Uh, so what are the best things that have happened to you since you stopped drinking? Well, um, without trying to sound like I've been in too many Oprah shows, I can say that I'm living my best life. The sheer depth with which one can experience life when you're not in the clutches of a controlling substance is incredible. I'm learning new things. I fill my social media feeds with art and with science and music and current affairs, all things that uplift me. I volunteer with my kids' scout group, something I never would have done before because it would have interfered with my drinking time. And best of all, I get to enjoy every minute of my family life because I'm not watching the clock counting down to when I can have a drink. Um, a, a lot of people, I think they stay stuck because uh, I know I did as well. You know that you you need to make a change, but you can't work out how, how you're going to do this. And one of the, the big blocks for me certainly was how on earth am I going to manage my social life? You know, I'm going to lose all my friends, I used to think. So um, when these days, when you're offered an alcohol an alcoholic drink uh, what, what do you say to people I nearly always have a glass in my hand it's usually just water um, but if you have a glass in your hand and then you say thank you but I'm fine for now people will generally leave you alone it's, it's open-ended it's not preachy it doesn't invite further questions it's just a nice simple answer so I'm fine for now usually works <laughs> That's that's nice. Yeah. And it's also it's down to your attitude and your body language, isn't it? Because um, it's a bit like dieting. I sometimes think if you say, oh, I shouldn't really have that second piece of cake. You know, people will pick up that you, you you're going to go for that piece of cake if they press you. So uh, I love your, you know, assertive. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm fine. <laughs> what do you think of so-and-so and just change the subject so if, if we could switch the clock back say 10 years if you could go back to a time when you were drinking a lot what would you say to yourself I would say to myself 
It's okay, Jen. You will be all right. For me, the most difficult things to overcome were the fear of the label alcoholic. It's just so negative. Shame at my weakness and feeling very, very alone. I think that people who are struggling with any sort of substance dependence need to hear that they are worthy of care and worthy of opportunities to heal without being scolded, without being punished, that we are worthy. So I would say you will be all right. Hang in there. What would you say is keeping you on track these days? Oh, I would be lying if I said that I didn't miss wine. There are times when I do very much. And during this lockdown, the wine which actually visited for the first time in ages, um, I must admit it really took me by surprise. And I must have spent a good 20 minutes turning this over in my mind. What brought me back from that edge was thinking over all the amazing and beautiful things in my life and consciously saying thank you for every small thing, even something like waking up in the morning clear-headed and shame-free. So I guess in a nutshell, it's gratitude that keeps me on track. I've worked so hard to build a new life for myself and I'll be darned if I'm going to lose it to some pesky wine which she doesn't give one jot for me. Yeah, yeah, I love the gratitude practice and that's a perfect um, way to use our journaling, isn't it, as well? Every time we, we go to journal at the end of the day, just just think of a few things that you're grateful for. Because I read quite recently that uh, even if you if you struggle to think of particular things to be grateful for that day, which might be a bit harder in lockdown, <laughs> then um, <laughs> just searching for those things makes a difference. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So let's uh, let's move on to our shared passion for activism. <laughs> uh, when when I go on Cape Talk, that in the um, when they write up my interview, they always talk, they always describe me as a sobriety advocate, and uh, I quite like that uh, job description. <laughs> and uh, I think we should uh, certainly bestow it on you as well because you've done some some amazing things. So let's let's talk uh, about the normalization of alcohol and the way it's totally glamorized in the press. Uh, Tell us your views on that. When you choose to take a break from alcohol, you very quickly become aware of how pervasive it is. It is everywhere. If you think about it, you drive to work and you pass enormous billboards advertising beer. You open a lifestyle magazine and there's an article about successful women who swig back the whiskey and keep up with the boys. Open your social media feed and every gathering features a friend holding up a pretty glass of something that is most definitely not sparkling water. But my personal pet peeve is the the mommy juice brigade. The, uh, The overwhelming message being sent is that alcohol is glamorous that it's part and parcel of being a successful career woman or enjoying your beach holiday, socialising. And one of the most dangerous messages that has gained traction over the last few years is that wine is necessary for mums. New baby, celebrate with champagne. Tough day with a toddler, pour yourself a glass of wine. Girls not out to escape the teens? Well, bring on the GNTs. Alcohol has become synonymous with parenting. The trouble is... Is like me, there are many moms 
whose drink doesn't end with one glass, but with one bottle or more. We wake up groggy and grumpy in the morning, wondering how they are going to care for their children, feeling um, ashamed of the argument that they picked with their spouse over something completely trivial, but half a bottle of wine in, it seemed quite important at the time. This is a heartbreaking place to be. It's lonely and it's dark, and I know that because I've been there. But alcohol producers and their partners in crime, the marketing companies, push these messages because they work. People want to feel successful, sophisticated, and included. We want our reward for making it through a tough day. And advertising plays straight into those needs. We have heard these messages our entire lives. Whether we like it or not, they are firmly embedded in our subconscious. We do uh, try and call magazines and companies out when they make uh, inappropriate claims ab about alcohol. You're a, a tweeter and you've written several fantastic letters on, on behalf of World Without Wine to make your points. So uh, talk us through a couple of those examples. You know, why did you uh, take them to task and, and what kind of results did you get? Yes, women's health and wellness publications have been known to run articles with very seductive headings like the alcoholic drink that's weight loss friendly. And another one was why we love alcohol brands that are now marketing stiff drinks to women. I have written numerous letters to Women's Health magazine in particular and also to women24.com to call them out on these kinds of stories and to highlight the danger of running them without also including the other side of the story, which is the scientifically proven nature of alcohol and how harmful it is. Women's Health has never acknowledged or responded to a single letter, and we have the red receipts that confirm that the emails were opened. And women24.com's response was, well, I have to read this, Janet, because it actually left me speechless. Their response was, whether women choose to drink or not beyond reading the article is a personal choice we have no hand in. Thanks. These responses, or lack thereof, speak volumes. The messages they are sending being, we don't care about the reader, and advertising revenue from alcohol companies is more important than consumers' health and well-being. <clears throat> Freedom of choice is always big alcohol's first response. And this is how they justify their marketing practices and absolve themselves of responsibility. They tell you that alcohol is an accessory, just a given part of life. They normalize it, they glorify it. But of course, it's nothing to do with them if you believe the marketing and end up dependent on their product. That's entirely your fault and your weakness, nothing to do with them at all. So there's a bit of a double standard here. Now, I'm not a prohibitionist and I don't advocate for the banning of alcohol, but I do think we can all do a better job of examining the stories we tell around alcohol. There's a lot to be done, especially in South Africa. Yes, they really are so powerful, aren't they? Uh, I was talking to a, a journalist quite recently who worked for a, a glossy magazine who shall be nameless. And uh, she she said, oh, I, lo I love your work. I love what you do. And I'd like to, to write about it. So I said, oh, why don't you? And she said, because 70% of our income, uh, our advertising income is from the liquor markets. <laughs> and that was a woman's magazine, you know. And, and woman's health that always makes you know, makes me laugh because there's nothing healthy about drinking a toxin, is there? You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
So we're recording this uh, conversation at the time of, of lockdown. And this is a, a fascinating social experiment for South Africa as they have an, an alcohol ban in place, unlike the UK, the US and, and many other countries that are just seeing a huge increase in their alcohol sales. So what do you think about this alcohol ban? I must admit that I have very mixed feelings about it. I think on the one hand, it is positive in that it is forcing people to really think about the place of alcohol in their lives. It's forcing government to recognize that alcohol has negative impacts on the social fabric of communities. But on the other hand, with lockdown, we have women and children who are now trapped in spaces with abusive husbands, fathers, spouses, um, and alcohol aggravates the situation. Yes, there is an alcohol ban, but it's not impossible to get. Again, as I said, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I'm hoping that out of this initial ban, more people will just pay attention to what made it difficult, what worked, and what didn't, and that we learn from it, and not just go back to same old, same old as it was before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so good just to take a break from alcohol because that's when you can test whether, you're, whether you've become dependent or not. So there'll be people listening to this conversation who are thinking of embarking on this journey to sobriety. Any tips you can give them to get them started? Oh, definitely. Firstly, be kind to yourself. Tough, yes, this is not going to be easy. But acknowledge each positive step you take. Remember that your goal for today is don't drink. Your second goal for today, refer to your first goal. Don't drink. In the early days, that's all you can focus on. That's all you need to focus on. Don't set yourself up for failure by trying to kick the sugar, kick the cigarettes, go, start going to the gym every day or training for a marathon. It's not going to work. One thing at a time for today don't drink. The next is sign up for World Without Wine. Use whatever resources there that feel right for you at the time. For me, the lockdown challenge or the take a break challenge, as it was called uh, a few years ago, sent an email every day with encouragement, tips, help, just a different perspective on things. And that became my lifeline. I would even become annoyed if my email came a bit late. It really was a highlight of my day in those early days. Then get yourself to a workshop. I repeat that, really get yourself to a workshop. The connections that you will make there are invaluable in your journey. And you'll see that there's no set recipe for recovery, no matter what AA says. And you will be given the information, the tips, the tools, the, everything you need to equip you to map out your own personal journey that makes sense for you in your circumstances. Find a genre of quicklet that resonates with you. There's plenty out there now. There are wonderful authors and bloggers and social media sites. If you into somebody who drops the F-bomb regularly, then Holly Whitaker's for you. <laughs> if not, then maybe somebody more like Catherine Gray. There's lots out there. There's something for everyone. When you are down and when you are alone, when you just don't know what to do, just read, read and read and read. Uh, if nothing else, it'll pass the time until that craving goes. 
And then, most importantly, remember that you are worthy of recovery. You are worth it. You deserve to get better. You don't deserve this kind of life. You are worthy. So take care of yourself. Thank you, Janet. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jen. That was so interesting. So lovely to catch up with you. I'd like to summarise my conversation with Jen just by picking out a few points. Now, the evening after the workshop, I love the way she said that she went home, had a great big cup of tea and started journaling. Journaling is so powerful. It has many, many benefits. And in fact, it is one of the things we recommend during the workshop. We say go out and buy a beautiful notebook. And in the front of that notebook, write down your why list. Why are you doing this? When people come to our workshop and they share their stories at the beginning, they're never short of finding reasons why they need to make this change. So write down your why list. And then in the back of the book, you can write your blacklist. Now, the blacklist is all the things that you can remember that you've done because you've had too much to drink. And the reason why we suggest these lists is because you might feel very, very motivated immediately after a workshop, say, or when you've made the decision. But a few weeks down the line, you'll be feeling a bit tired, losing the motivation, not feeling many benefits because they don't click in for a while. And you'll be thinking, oh, why am I doing this? Your friends will be nagging you. And that's when you need to go back to that journal. Read the why list. Remind yourself. And do you remember when I asked Jen what the benefits of ditching the drink were? She didn't actually know where to start because she feels there's so many. She summarised it beautifully by saying that she was living her best life. Of course, when we stop drinking, we gain so much time. Time to discover who we are and what we actually like doing. And finally, I'm sure you picked up the passion when Jen was talking about her crusade to call out companies and magazines when they published misleading articles about alcohol. One thing she didn't mention was the little spat we had with Macro. As we record this, we're coming up to Mother's Day, so it uh, made me think of Macro. Now, a couple of Mother's Days ago, they published an ad for wine, naturally, saying, more wine, less wine for mum. Now, obviously, they spelt the second wine with an H. So insulting. So in other words, get mum a little bit drunk and she's not going to spend the day whining at you. We just hated that. So uh, Jen wrote one of her amazing letters. And to be fair, they did actually apologise. They said they were trying to be funny, but they realised it it wasn't a very tasteful advertisement. So that was a small triumph for us. So to wrap up, a few tips. Get journaling. Realise that there are many, many rewards ahead if you can ditch the drink. And finally, keep an eye out for all the marketing BS around alcohol. In spite of what the liquor industry tells you, it is not a magic potion and it won't bring you joy. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. 
Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.